Are you the artist who hasn't painted since college or the author who never seems to finish the manuscript? Maybe you're the entrepreneur who let another year slip by without launching their startup. Or you're the singer who can't bear the thought of stepping out of the rehearsal room and onto the stage. If you're 40, 50, 60, even 70 years old and you're thinking, man, this sounds an awful lot like me, then you're in luck because I've created this podcast just for you. On this show, we're going to help creative types and entrepreneurs to kickstart the dreams they let go of many years ago when they got married, started a family, and embarked on their careers, better known as their J-O-Bs. We're going to deconstruct that negative feedback loop that's been fueling your fear, uncertainty, and doubt for decades. And finally, we're going to give you, the caller, and the listeners actionable takeaways, things that you can do right now to help put you on the track to living the lives you were born to live. At this point, the question we should be asking is, if not now, when? My name is Doug Taylor, and this is the Third Quarter Gut Check. On this show, we help those that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, even 70s to get unstuck and reclaim the dreams they let go of many years ago. We also celebrate those individuals who are in the third quarter and pushing through the fear, uncertainty, and doubt and taking control of their destiny. Our next guest is doing just that. She created the Nassau County Film Office. She's one of the co-founders of Life, the Long Island International Film Expo. She's also an award-winning writer and director who casts and produces movies. She's a novelist penning the Karmic Wind trilogy and if that weren't enough she's also a reiki healer ready for the best part she didn't write her first novel until she was 40 years old or make her first movie until she was over 50 years old debbie markowitz welcome to the third quarter gut check thank you doug i'm happy to be here really psyched to have you on the show today debbie um we're going to cover a lot of ground we're going to talk about the nassau county film office we're going to talk about life the long island international film expo we're going to talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about uh, reiki some some of the karmic wind trilogy but you know, let's get into some of the characters that you've met over the years with uh, the Film mm-hmm. Expo. There's been so many people, so many stories, so many characters, but one in particular mm-hmm. stands out. What was it like meeting Anthony Hopkins on the set of Daniel and Mr. Oh. Webster? What was it? Devils. It was called... Um, the Devil and Daniel Webster? It, w- it was... A, oh, yeah. Well, I met him twice. I met him for uh, Devil and Daniel Webster as well as Bad Company, I think is what the name of that film ended up being. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. So um, he's an incredible actor. Like you know, he yeah. could make something like The Edge. And I, and the only reason I bring that up because I was playing around with the Hulu, not the uh, Hulu, but the Roku the other night, and mm-hmm. I happened to pull up The Edge with him and Alec Baldwin. I think El McPherson was in it. I mean, mm-hmm. he was. I don't. Did you ever see that movie? I did not. It's a great one. It's one of those like it almost seems like it was made for TV, but it was a great movie, and he's just spectacular in everything he does. What was it like meeting him? He is an incredible person and obviously you know I'm just meeting him on set but um, the first time I met him I had worked out the deal where um, Alec Baldwin who was directing this movie uh, Dan, uh, Daniel, Devil and Daniel Webster uh, which I've changed the name since then but I worked it out where they could film at Grumman Studios which is the first time it wasn't a studio and but the first time anybody could film there and um, because I had done all this work and got all these agencies involved and got approvals for everybody Alec agreed to have um, basically a press day, you know, a photo op day for the county executive and the legislators and all the other people that were in the area, the politicians and whatnot. So um, I set this all up, and um, I get a call because I would go there and pick the checks up from Alec for the rent for the county. And uh, I was like, yeah, you got to come down. We'll get a shot. So I set it all up, and I go down there, and everybody's getting their pictures taken, and I have my little camera because we didn't even have cell phones back then. Yeah, and I'm right. like, all right, can somebody take my picture? Well, you're not on the list. I'm like, what do you mean I'm on the list? I'm like, I set this up. And they wouldn't take yeah, my like, picture. <laughs> and Anthony Hopkins goes, wait a minute, get over here. And he calls the photographer from the county. He's like, you, get over here. And then he looks at the town photographer. He's like, you, get over here, too. Take the lady's picture. Come on. You, now take another one. And he wouldn't, like, he wouldn't let them oh, stop. Oh, that's great. And, and I thought that was the sweetest thing ever. And then... Um, the county executive wanted his picture um, autographed. Now, I knew it would be easy to get Alec, but Anthony had flown back to California, and I'm like, How, what's the chance I'm going to send this there and it's ever going to come back? You yeah, know, right. I don't know it personally. So um, I figured I'm trying to figure out how to do it, and I, I just don't know what, how that's going to happen. And then I get a call from a location scout wanting to uh, use Supreme Court, which we own for bad company, and who's in it? But, Alec, but um, uh, Anthony Hopkins, I'm like, 
oh, this is just too good. So I speak <laughs> to the scout, and he goes, yeah, come on down, come on down, meet him. So I, I, I go there, and, um, you know, oh, Mr. Hopkins, great to see you again. And he signed, signed, signed all the pictures I had. He even signed a bunch of scripts uh, that we um, raffled off at the film festival. And every, you know, while some of the other stars, whose names I won't mention, and were in their trailers, he's hanging out in, in the, the uh, cafeteria with everybody else. You know, that and, and he's basically you know, online. You know, yeah. Sir Anthony yeah, Hopkins hanging out with everybody else. In I the know, cafeteria. That's I great. know. And, and he's given one of the grips like noogies on his head. I'm like, look at this. <laughs> and, and then he's sort of like, well, you have to have, you know, the Chilean sea bass. And I'm like, well, I don't eat fish. He's like, do you know how much this costs? <laughs> like, well, I, I don't eat fish. He goes, eat it, eat it. And he's like trying to put it on my plate. And I'm like, oh my God, he's like such a cool person. So tell me a little bit about Grunman. You know, how did that whole thing come about? Well, Grumman Studios did start with originally, um, well, it wasn't a studio again, I should go back. Um, it started with Devil and Daniel Webster, which I think is now called Shortcut to a Happy Life. Uh, but we were there for six months, and then nothing happened with it again. And when Salt was coming out, that movie with Angelina Jolie, um, they really wanted that space. But at this point, that was only being used as a warehouse. So um, we just had to get so many people involved to, to get it up to code where they would able, you know, be able to film in it from the fire department standing outside because they had no running water anymore. So yeah. the fire department to restrooms to, to everything else they had to do, have, uh, you know, have this happen. And I think this also it took several months for it to happen. But um, once uh, Salt was finished filming, then um, the, the owner of the studio just said, you know what, this is probably a good deal to do this. So they set up Grumman Studios. And uh, not that long after, I got a call from um, the people who own Gold Coast, um, which at the time wasn't Gold Coast Studios, but they said, you know, we want to consider making a studio, and what do you think? Is this going to work? And I said, well, let's put it this way. If there's no strike, <laughs> if there's no strikes, and yeah, there right. haven't been... If, that's a big if. Right, and so, which they haven't been for a very long time at this point, and, and also as long as we keep the New York State tax credit, you're going to be busy, you know, they're yeah. going to fill up the city first, and then they're going to come out here, so yeah, you know, and they had their first job within two weeks of opening. That's amazing. Um, yeah, Man on a Ledge with uh, Sam Worthington was the first film that they had shot out there. So for the, our listeners, you know, we're always, you know, on the show trying to help our listeners as well as talk with guests and have them ta- have some benefit here, right, some, some takeaway. For those people that may be thinking about starting something similar like life, you know, the Long Island International uh, mm-hmm. Film Expo, what was, it, what was it like when you first started that? What was the end goal when you started it? And, and is it a full-time job for somebody to do that? No, it's not a full-time job. Film festivals, unless you're the Hamptons and, and with a huge budget um, or Sundance, you're not making money doing this. Um, basically, what had happened was uh, we were approached by the Long Island Film and TV Foundation, um, which is a not-for-profit group, which had been around for probably 10 years or so before I even knew them. And they said, look, you know, we have a small film festival in Suffolk, and we'd love to do it in Nassau, and we'll do all the work, and all you have to do is for the Film Commission to put its, you know, stamp on it, so to speak. Yeah. Well, that didn't happen. We ended up doing all the work. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and I was very surprised that it ended up actually being fairly successful the first year, but there weren't 5,000 film festivals on Long Island at that point. There were three. Yeah, right. So, no, it, it, it was very different than it is now, because um, now there, there's, there's at least five film festivals opening up every week. Yeah. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's getting a little crazy. So why, why but, do you think they do it if there's no money in it? And by the way, listeners, sorry to hear about it. If you're thinking about striking at Rich, opening up a film or creating a film festival. Yeah, not happening. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> so you can strike that off the list. But for yeah. everyone else, why do you think they do it? Are they doing it for the hype of it? Um, just to say that I'm a director. I know a lot of people that, you know, at yeah. least in Philly, they seem I'm to do say, things. Yeah. yeah, that's what I think too. So, but yeah, is there any I mean, real credibility think... to it? I mean, I know there's credibility to when you've been doing this for decades now, but just to start something, what do you think they're really after? What do you think they're getting out of it? Well, I think what happens sometimes is, um, and I hate to say this because this is not the perspective I'm coming from, but I I think that maybe your film hasn't had any luck playing anywhere, so you want to have a film festival where you can show your films and your friends' films. Maybe um, you want the notoriety of of doing this. Maybe you want to help filmmakers. You know, maybe. I mean, you know, there's there's five million reasons, I guess, people could want to do it. Mm it's I've been trying to walk away from life for like 15 years, but every time I try, everybody yells at me, so I stay. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't get paid for that. I mean, that's all, you know, on my own time, you know, you know, just the, the love of wanting to help people. But um, I don't show my own films there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I almost wish I wasn't part of it. So I could submit my own films there because it's a pretty great festival. 
festival. But, uh, but I can't, you know. And, and I, by the way, I hear it's great. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Amanda Ramirez on the show. Her film, uh, Indestructible, Baseball on the Isthmus, won Best Trailer at your festival, at your expo. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, she so. was so surprised. It was sweet. I, I love when that happens. There's certain things that um, that happen which are really wonderful. I, I don't watch films anymore because I, I just work on too many, and I know too many people, so I'm not the judge. I just do all the administrative stuff. But um, it's the wonderful thing um, that I always loved was sending out the acceptance letters, and the thing I always hated was sending out the rejection letters. Yeah. You know, that that's always the worst because yeah. sometimes it's a matter of your film is just as good as another film in there, and, and the judges really had a way because they can only take one of them you know and and um and sometimes the film just really maybe there's a sound problem maybe it's just they're going by the score and one just scored a little bit higher and it's you know it's it's a really difficult process um and and i I have to say the judges at life you know the long island international film expo they get a lot of integrity i mean it's it's hard to say no sometimes especially if it's someone you know sure sometimes you have to yeah, you she, know, she so was completely caught off guard. Really she said, difficult. Yeah, she said she was completely caught off guard. She gives evidence by the way she was dressed. You know, lack of hair, makeup done, anything like that. She she had <laughs> no idea. She didn't think for uh, in a million years she was going to win it, and she won it. She was really excited mm-hmm. about it. So I want to move on to your favorite topic: writing. Um, were you writing novels and films? Not film scores, but uh, screenplays and such before life, before the uh, film expo and the Nassau County Film Office. Try to think of the timeline of this all. I think that I was 23 years, yeah. I must, hmm, good question. It might have been around the same time. Uh, but although I think the film festival came first, and I, I kind of always knew I was a writer. And and when I tried to write things when I was younger, I didn't really put in the commitment because I was too busy trying to make a living and pay my rent. And, you know, you, yeah. you have this idea you really want to write, but where are you going to fit that in there? And then mm-hmm. you have kids and then, you know, your life is over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. 30 years goes by and you yeah. just, oh, you're like, what happened? <laughs> oh, I know. And, and what happened was... Um, I was always, actually, this had to be before, okay, before the film festival. I was always on every hit list ever. What, what that means is um, when you're an appointee with the county, um, they assume it's a patronage uh, position. And I was probably one of the few appointees who was never political. Um, I got hired. Um, I started the film commission. I created the film commission under um, the administration several administrations ago. Yeah. And, um Basically, I because I was an appointee, they didn't even look at what you did. They just said, who's the appointee? Good, get rid of them. And um, <laughs> although it didn't happen, I always had the stress of, oh, God, I'm on another list. I'm on another list. Are they going to get rid of me? But I was the only person who did what I did, and I raised a lot of money for the county, so it was almost kind of crazy to get rid of me, but didn't mean I didn't have that stress. So yeah. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do if, if I lose my job because, you know, I got bills to pay. And I said, all right, well, I always wanted to be a lawyer. So maybe I'll go and take the paralegal program over at Hofstra, which start, you know, I have to register. I think I have three months to register or something. And then I said, yeah, but if I do that, I won't be able to write. And then I thought about it and realized, well, I'm not writing anyway. So you know what? I got three months. And if I don't write something in three months, then I'm just never writing. And I made that deal with myself. And in three weeks, I wrote the first draft of Naked in the Rain. Wow. And- <laughs> shows you what you can do when you're put to the test, right? I'm sorry, what? I said it shows you what you can do when you're put to the test. In this case, it was a self-imposed test, but yeah, a test nonetheless. Yeah. It was my last shot, you know, yeah. so I wrote the, like I said, first draft of that um, in in three weeks, and of course, then it takes months to clean it up and get yeah. it out there, and um, and then I wrote, when I sat down to write the second part of the, uh, part of the trilogy, which was uh, Sarah and Caleb, that took me longer because it's set in the Civil War, and so I really wanted to do a lot of research to make it as accurate as possible, and... Um, I, but when I sat down to write the first draft of all the information, again, three weeks later, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> it's like I would make sure my kids went to bed at 9, you're going to bed at 9, I don't care, yeah, no right. exceptions, because nine, 9 to 11 is when I have to write. You know, that's right. And, and, um, and you know, I think that's one of the hardest things. Listen, so many writers have said the hardest part about writing is sitting down to write. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that's the hardest part, creating that schedule. David Bach talked about uh, the financial guy. He was on Lewis Howe's 
probably back in June. Mm-hmm. And he said something about getting up at 4.30 a.m. from 4.30 to 6.30 mm-hmm. before the kids got up. Just once again, mm-hmm. the hardest part of writing is sitting down to write. And believe me, yeah. I'm, that, I'm that frustrated, uh, the author who never finishes the manuscript because it's not yeah. natural. To, it's just not natural for me to do it. I hate to write. Ah. I'm not a great typist and I'm just not good. Mm-hmm. I can take a stage play and I can see that from a mile away and I can mount that show mm-hmm. and have it on a stage in Las Vegas or Atlantic City in no time and literally in a month or two but writing for me nope I just my brain just shuts down oh it's my life it's my I I literally will get home from work my husband will because he's semi-retired I mean he's still working because you know we'll never retire but um I'll get home from work yeah why would you he's so boring uh, yeah he he just basically you know throws something in front of me to eat and then I'm writing all night you know until he drags me out because it's time for bed (laughs) I gotta go to school but I and and um, I, I tell people when they ask how I get the amount of work I get done done, and it's because I learn to say no a lot. Yeah, you know, and um, we're, we're trying actually to go out more now because I could just you could lock me in a room and I'd do nothing but write, you know, for for like months. And and you know you got to have a balance there too. Yeah. But um, I love writing. I mean, I know people that say writing. I don't know who said this quote, but writing is you sit there, you know, with your hands on the keys until they bleed or something or another. <laughs> but but I'm. But it sounds I about right. Love, I love it. You know, it's um, if it's a story I'm I'm inspired by and and I'm in the zone. Especially, you, you can't tear me away. I mean, it's yeah. it's rough. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I think Somerset Mom was uh, at a uh, the the writer author. What was he? Is he a novelist? Somerset Mom. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was asked. Yeah. At or a, was it a poet? Yeah, a poet. Yeah, yeah. He was asked at one of the yeah. uh, at, at some event he was speaking at or attended. And somebody in the audience asked him if he wrote on a schedule or only when he was inspired. And I'm paraphrasing, but I, he said something to the effect of uh, only when inspiration strikes, which is precisely at 9 a.m. every morning. So I thought that was a kind uh, of interesting perfect. answer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. that, that, that's what that whole thing is about. So in your right. writing, you're writing all of these, you're writing what now? Are you writing novels? Are you writing screenplays? What are you writing most? What are you most passionate am, about writing? Yeah, I am mostly, um, I mean, I wrote my three novels, um, which I did with Cormac Wind. Um, and I started, I wrote a screenplay um, because I had already started casting for other people. Um, and I wanted to basically see what made directors crazy. And I know now, you know, because I, um, I wrote a short film called The Last Taxi Driver. And it stars Robert Clahessy from Blue Bloods and Deb Twist from Kick-Ass and Emily Jackson from Incarnate. And I, I, because I had met them, you know, in other places and cast them before. I said, all right, we'll make this film and we'll, we'll raise money on crowdfunding and, um, Shooting, writing a film that takes place outside in February um, when we had six different weather patterns in three days. Oh, yeah. And, um, and we had to get it because Robert, like, you never know with his blues, blue blood schedule, sometimes until the week before. So it's like, all right, we're just going to hope for the best and pick these three days. And, yeah. Um, it was insane. And I think one of our, because it's a zombie comedy, and uh, it's called The Last Taxi Driver. And um, one of our makeup people got food poisoning, and one of our zombies got held, got mugged at, like, gunpoint in the city. And one of, I mean, all these things were happening. The, Let's hope the cameras were rolling when that happened, happened, you know? Oh, it was insane. Yeah, I, I'm sitting there going, so I remember walking outside. Everybody's, like, in, in uh, catering and holding, and I walk outside. It's snowing out. I'm like, all right, you brought me this far. you got to want me to do this, so let's just freaking do it, you know. Let's hope there's no blizzard. And we just filmed outside, and three days later we had, uh, you know, wrapped on the, the film. And, um, you know, it, it, we started submitting it to film festivals once it was done, and it uh, started winning awards. I'm like, what? <laughs> but since, since I wrote that... I, I, I couldn't stop writing. I wrote Leaving Next, um, and then I wrote By Blood, and uh, they're, they're all on Amazon Prime, by the way. But um, I just couldn't stop writing, and I still can't. I have, um, so I'm mostly writing screenplays, because that's my favorite medium, but I started writing uh, this very epic um, novel called, uh, the working title is Damaged But Not Broken, and I, I'm 152 pages into it, but I, I need to get back to it, because the story is great. But it's hard for me to write a novel again, you know. So um, I, I do want to get back to that. Is and that then difficult turn to transition that from that to, to switch gears from screenplays to novels? It's hard. It yeah. was really hard for me. And and if I didn't love the story so much, I'd just dump it. But you know, my friends are basically telling me write it as a novel first. Write it. Write it. You know, and, and before you do it, because it seems a lot of the bigger movies came out of novels. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to that um, after I finish. I just finished a Christmas feature uh, that I have somebody looking at that, that I wrote. 
And um, I'm, I'm finishing up a miniseries called Couple of Guys because I want to get that done and try and raise money to get the rest of that done. We have two episodes done and two more scheduled uh, um, in the next few weeks. So, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, but I love it. So, so when you say you love a story, is it a story that you've come up with or a story that you've adapted from, a, say, another work of art or another book or another movie or something like that? They're all original. They're all original. Yeah, yeah. I'm going I'm going to write in fact right after I finish the se- writing the series which I'm very close to doing my first draft, then I'm going to get into a feature of the last taxi driver which is going to be called Drivers. And um so that's but I'm adapting it for my own work. Um you know, so but no, my ideas are all over the place. People ask me what my genre is, and I'm like, I don't really have one because I write horror, I write suspense, I wrote like romance, I wrote a Christmas one. I, wrote, I just, I get an idea, and then I can't stop until it's all out. And so, for somebody that, for one of our listeners that may be listening, that's thinking about a similar path, what age were you when you were really writing in earnest? How old were you then? Oh, uh, hmm, I really kind of stink with dates, but I'm gonna say. Oh, I had to be over 40 okay, when I good. started writing. Good. So and I made my first movie over 50. That's beautiful. That's exactly what I wanted to get at because you know what? A <laughs> lot of our, look, our audiences, we're, we're all in the third quarter. You know what I mean? I, I don't think there's any mm-hmm. 20 or 30 year olds that are checking this show out. Uh, if they are, they're probably like, well, well, how did I stumble onto this? But, you know, I just wanted to, you know, let these listeners know that, you know what, guys, it's never too late. I mean, we're just getting started. And, and for you to do mm-hmm. your first work of art after 40 and your first movie after 50, I mean, that's huge. And that gives a lot of people, I'm sure, a lot of inspiration. Yeah. You know, people say to me, well, why do you work so hard? I mean, you know, and I said, because I don't have as much time left as you do. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we don't really know, but I have a lot of stories I want to tell, and I'm having a blast. And, um, I mean, I keep up with filmmakers that are in their 20s, you know, because I love what I do, and it's... uh, you know, I said to my husband, is it weird that some of our best friends are like 28? <laughs> I know. He <laughs> said, no, great? because we all have the same energy. You That's know? exactly right. You know, I, I said to, uh, to a friend the other day, I said, you know, I, I'm 54 next week, and I feel like I have the energy of a 24-year-old. I mean, I really do. Mm-hmm. And, so, and some of these kids, I mean, I don't know if they're getting burned out because they've got a device in front of their face, you know, 24-7 every waking moment. But, you know, mm-hmm. they, they seem to lack a lot of energy and vitality because they, they seem just... I don't think they have an understanding of themselves yet, of yeah. what they can accomplish. And, you know, because when I was younger, I just, you know, when you're really young, you have this idea that you're invincible, and, and then the world beats that out of you. Oh, it does. And, and yeah. then you have to make a living. You have bosses who are just there to make themselves feel important because they never achieved their dreams. And then you have all these other things that happen, and you've got to pay rent. You don't want to live in the street. Yep. So it, it's, um, it, it becomes survival. Uh, and... and it, it it has to come to a point where, um, I mean, if somebody didn't walk up to me to cast one of their movies because they knew that I knew a celebrity they wanted, I would never have cast a movie. They literally found me, yeah. and uh, you know, yeah. and and then I, I I looked at the script, and I don't generally read scripts, but I, I took a chance and I said, you know what, this isn't the actor you want. What about these other people? And I recommended some others, and they're like, wow, like you can get them. I said we can call them. And and they ended up asking me to cast the movie, and that was a short called My Cross to Bear. And then right after that, I wasn't going to do it again. And then somebody came up to me with a feature, a feature film called uh, Living with the Dead, a Love Story. And uh, I read I, I read it in 10 pages, and I'm like, this is one of the best things I ever read. And so I agreed to do that. And then that, that's when I decided I wanted to make my own film. Um, but it was taking a chance. It was knowing that... You know, it's 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 time to do something different. You've mm-hmm. you've done your you know, like I said, you've raised your kids, yeah. or um, you know, it, it's you really you've lost people at this point. You've you've lost family members. Absolutely. You've lost friends. Yeah. You know, you've lost people younger than you. You know, yep. and and if you don't take that chance, it's you. Why are you even here? Yeah, that's why you our know? tag is so, if not now, when. You know, I mean, you know, right. When are you going to yeah. do it if not now? Because you know, I want to move on to this concept that I've been thinking a lot about, and that's where people exchange their time for money. Right. You know, they, mm-hmm. they literally are just trading. They're exchanging their time for a dollar. Mm-hmm. And so I'll put right. in 40 hours this week at this job. And, you know, you just talked about it, you know, getting through that phase and call it that 25 year window, call it the second quarter where you've got the kids and the job and the house and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the headache and, you know, and joy and, and excitement and great stuff, too. Mm-hmm. But there, it, it's definitely a grind. And as we get into mm-hmm. our age now, I, I really think more about investing time for some sort of uh, of success and wealth beyond money. You know, mm-hmm. money's important. It's still an important metric, but, you know, there was a study uh, done by MIT Age Lab 
where they talked about as they as you got past, I believe, 65, that health and companionship were more important than money. Sure. You know, and you can clearly see that, you know. So in, in that in that case, how do you feel, you know, you were during that time as opposed to where you are now? Do you feel that you're kind of moving away from exchanging time for money or is something that you're doing with your day job? Is that still something that is holding you back from writing? Where are you at in that process? Well, I'm really lucky to have something that a lot of people don't have, and especially not today. Um, I mean, I started with a job that um, I first didn't like it. I was a special assistant to the county executive, and, and I loved certain things that I did, but I just didn't like the whole structure, so to speak. And I started looking around the county for what it is I could do that would interest me. And um, I found a department called Commerce and Industry where they do uh, three or four film permits a year. And I'm like, why are we not doing anything with this? And, yeah. and I brought it to the attention of the county executive. I basically created something that, yeah, there was you know kind of cruddy times here and there, but I got to change all the time. I got to um, decide. I mean, I, I started this back in the day when we'd have to send a photographer to take physical photos to mail to the client to then we could fax things to then, you know, we could do it on a digital phone and then I put them on my website. So, you know, where it used to take us days to do something, it was taking us five minutes, if mm-hmm. even, you know. So I got to grow it. I got to learn. I got to really understand the industry. Um, so I really enjoyed my job. And yet, um, even though I was always considered on the chopping block because I'm not civil service, I never got let go. I lasted through four administrations because I've always done my job. Um, so I've enjoyed it, you know, for the most part. And because it's it's county, you, you get, after, you know, 30 years I'm here, you know, you have sure. days off. So if I want to make a movie now, I can take two days off. I can't take a month off. But, you know, if, if uh, right, we're filming five days, I can take a vacation for a week, you know, and, and whatever. So I have... The ability to do that, I have the ability of knowing one day that I'm going to have a pension, you know, and, and hopefully at least my generation is going to get Social Security and hope we don't mess that up. Exactly. But um, I work very hard, and, and people say it's impossible to do what I do, but it's not, you know. But like I said, I say no a lot. Okay, I'm invited to 20 parties. Maybe I'm going to one. You know, I'm, I'm invited to, to 30 film festivals, but if I can send the actors to some of them so that I can stay home and work, I'm probably going to do that unless it's very local because it's just, I can't do it all. And, mm-hmm. and if, you know, sometimes I'll get a week where there seems to be something every day, but that's just that week, you know. And then after that, it's like, I love you. Please don't take it personally, but I'm the land of no for the next month until I finish this project because it's what I have to do. So it's, it's, um, it's more serious to me now because I, I guard my time, you know, like, the, you know, they, I got the dogs at the gates of hell saying it's my time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> taking away my time to do what I want to do because it just, it's, it's fulfilling everything I do. So I, I have that option that a lot of people don't have. Well, that's right. Um, and Debbie, listen, you can be more selfish with your time now. I know that you've gone through a difficult situation, you know, some number of years back. And then, you know, as a single mom, you know, taking care of, mm-hmm. the, of the, the kid or kids, you know, that, that mm-hmm. in and of itself, I mean, when you talk about coming across the goal line on that hurdle, man, mm-hmm. I mean, the, you know, talk about being battle tested and life approved. You know, that's, that's, that's one of the toughest jobs, if not the toughest oh, job. Wow. That I can imagine. So, you know, you're you're at this place now, so you've got more free time. You're able to be more selfish with your time. Uh, you're able to really mm-hmm. dive into it more deeply. What do you think, you know, as you're writing and you're working on these different these projects, what do you think is going to happen differently when you're, when you're looking for, let's say, a rep, right? Once you write a couple more features, what do you think is going to be different about the work that you'll be writing then as opposed to what you've currently done? Okay, well, my hope is that, first of all, they'll be doing the selling, you know, they'll be looking for the market. Some of them I'm, I really want to direct, some I don't care if I direct, okay. um, because some I'm writing to sell, you mm-hmm. know, and some I'm writing, they all come from my heart, but, but some are so personal, not necessarily based on things that happen, but so much from my heart that it was painful to write, and and those are the things that really touch people, and those are the things I'm most interested in writing, Um so, so you know, my my hope is that they bring in the kind of money I need to be able to make my films the way I want to, um, because 
the reason I like to direct is the fact that um, I know the emotion I want, and, and I'm very good at picking the actors that can bring that out. Um, I mean, right now with a couple of guys, uh, Lucas Hassel, uh, who plays John, and, and um, Sal Rendino, who, who plays Richard, and Abigail Hawk, who play, you know, plays uh, um, uh, John's, John's sister, and, and, uh, and Kieran Sheehan, who was one of Broadway's Phantoms, he plays Aiden, and they're all so amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and they're all these things that these characters go through from when they meet, and, and one of the characters is just coming out in his 50s because he, he just couldn't do it when he was younger. He didn't have the confidence to do it. And, and he meets this man, and basically they fall in love, and he's got to tell his kids, and he's got to tell his wife. And, he's, and it's just so emotional, you know, and it's yeah. like trying to find happiness at the last part of your life when you've lived your whole life really kind of as a lie, you know, which is what he... And, and so these actors are so good that I'm laughing... Sometimes I laugh instead of calling cut because they're so funny, <laughs> and I just I don't. Oh no, I can't do that. I, yeah, I was going to say I hope they know what you mean when you're doing that because most people would probably yeah, look around and say, "Do you want us to cut?" Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You, and, you and I'm very. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm very lucky that my husband works with me on set. You know, sometimes yeah. he's the director of photography, and sometimes he's my AD, and sometimes he's the grip. It depends on the project, but um, he'll usually if I laugh, he goes, "That means cut." Yeah, that's cut. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that, but yeah, that's code for but, cut. So, so you you spoke and about they confidence. Make me cry. Yeah, so you spoke about confidence in the in with the actor and, and with what he was doing and how he's able to to make that role really translate. How do you keep your confidence up? You know, when when you're at the age, you know, obviously we're, we're in our fifties. You know, how do you keep your confidence up, especially after three decades of ass kickings? Um. I don't keep my confidence up. I don't say that I even always do. I, I'm very, I mean, I'm much stronger than I was. I realize that not everybody is going to like everything. That's right. Um, and that's okay. Re- and that's okay. And I realize that I'm, it's okay for me to screw up. And yep. I don't screw up a lot. <laughs> that's right. But it's okay for me, too. You know, you don't always know the joke that you think is perfect. Nobody gets until you've shown it 20 times and somebody's rolling over in the audience. I mean, not everybody's going to understand everything I do because what's most important for me is, like I said, it's got to come from my heart. It's, it's going to touch somebody. So sometimes that movie isn't for the majority of people. Maybe it's for that one person who comes up at the end, uh, like my movie Leaving. I've had more people um, come up to me after that and say, thank you so much. Uh, you know, this happened to me or that happened to me, and now I understand. And when that happens... It's it's everything, and my movie, The Waiting Room, is, is is the same thing. Where people will come up to me, and first of all, they're crying, which I love because it means it touched them. Mm-hmm. But um, they can tell me about something they went through, and maybe that gives them an answer they didn't have before. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, even if I'm making huge multi-million dollar movies one day, should I be so lucky? I still want to make my smaller films because those are the ones that I can completely control and and make sure that I get out the story that I need to get out. Well, so you're absolutely right. Confidence yeah. is. It's trust. I'm going to consider confidence more like trust. Mm-hmm. I've learned to trust trusting a lot more yourself. in the universe. Exactly, trusting yourself. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. Then I'm going to be okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. You know what? We're not. Listen, we're not curing cancer with with a with a film project or with a TV project or something like that. You know, we're we're just and trying to mm-hmm. entertain people. You know, look, even Edward right. Norton, you know, of Fight Club fame. Uh, he had a tremendous amount of self uh, self doubt about writing and directing mm-hmm. and starring in Motherless Brooklyn. So, you mm-hmm. know, when, when he took that adaptation and he was writing it and he was really just thought it would be a great character and he just, just fell mm-hmm. in love with it. And, and he was really conflicted about whether or not to direct it. And, and I think it was uh, Toby Emmerich, who was, who's now the chairman of Warner, was at, mm-hmm. he was at New Line. He was at one of the other studios at that time, and they've been friends for a long time. He was the one that convinced him to do it. He was citing Clint Eastwood and Unforgiving, Kevin Costner and Waterworld, so many actors that have gone mm-hmm. down that road. But he had a tremendous amount of self-doubt, and he had to really draw on other experiences, being a pilot, you know, getting his pilot license and flying across the country and wherever he's flown mm-hmm. throughout the world. And he was drawing on that same way. I can fly a plane, but I can't direct and, you know, act and write. Exactly. And pro- yeah, and so he was really having a tremendous amount of self-doubt. And I think that's something that, you know, you look at a guy like that, clearly he has nothing to prove. I mean, he's done, mm-hmm. you know, more than enough great work. Uh, I haven't seen this Motherless Brooklyn, but I think I want to see it. Look, looks like a pretty interesting... Yeah, yeah it's an interesting mm-hmm. plot, so... You know, that's that 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 self-confidence or lack thereof. I know a lot of people, especially people that are coming on the show, they they have an issue with that. You know, and I think 25, 30 years of of ass kickings can do that to you. You know, I think people in in their 20s and 30s, 
really could benefit from having more confidence in what they're doing. And I think, I don't even think it's an age thing. I think it's just a human thing. You know, I think it is a human thing. Yeah. And I think the important thing, and, and what I've always done is, I think when I was younger especially, I was afraid of everything, and, but I'd do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so it's a matter of you can be afraid, but just do it. Yeah, that's you know, right. Be smart about it. I mean, when I made my first film, are we going to do this for 500 bucks? Are we going to do this for 12000 bucks? And if we do it for 12000 bucks, I better surround myself with a team who knows what they're doing. Because yeah. having been the film commissioner, commissioner for 20 years and having had a film festival at that point for, you know, I don't know, for 10 years or whatever, you know, I can't afford to make a really crappy movie yeah. because people are going to be scrutinizing me more than they would somebody else making their <laughs> right. first film. So I hired Mark, Mark Ryu. I, what I did was we didn't have a lot of money, and um, I hired a group of filmmakers who just came out of college. They just came out of Delphi, and they started a company called The Majors Productions, and I hired uh, Mark Ryu as uh, my DP, and Mark is so talented, and I'm really happy he's on a couple of guys with me because we've done a few films apart, and and I hired a great sound person, and Rob LaRosa, and Nugent Cannellino was my AD, and, and I surrounded myself with young, affordable, but really talented filmmakers. Yeah. That movie looks great. Whether you think it's funny and laugh, or whether you want to ask just goofy, it looks great. And Robert Clahesse from Blue Bloods is a dream, and he played my lead character. So it, it's just, I surrounded myself with great people, you know, and, and, and so it looks wonderful, you know, where people are like, that was your first film, you know, but I knew enough, and I was confident enough to know that I might know how to write this, but if I, if I don't have a great team, it's, it's going to look like amateur hour, and I didn't feel I could personally afford to do that. Yeah, and you know what, I think a lot of times, and I think it was, um, was it Martin Scorsese, or who's, the, uh, who's Star Wars? George Lucas? Steven Spielberg? Steven Spielberg? Or Lucas. George Lucas, yeah, yeah. Spielberg said, or Lucas, yeah. One of them, yeah. They said, if you don't look back and, and, and look at your first piece of art and, and it's not cringeworthy, then you really didn't try or something like that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm sure I butchered <laughs> it. But, you know, it's, it's great that you look back and you don't feel that way, that you feel that, you know, you knocked it out of the park. And that probably is, is what continues to drive you through, you know, project after project, because I think that's really what it comes down to. You, you got to get knocked down and get back up with no loss of enthusiasm. And it sounds like that's exactly oh. what you're doing. Yeah, I don't think I don't lose sleep, though. I mean, I decided that about a year ago, a year and a half ago, that I wanted to make a feature film with next to no money. And the only way I could do that was for my husband and I, my husband was going to shoot it, mm-hmm. and well, we were going to buy our own camera equipment so that if it took us six months to do this thing, we'd still save money than if we rented a camera every time. Yeah. And we um, hired a team for the most part, except for a couple of positions, we hired a team who we trained while we were filming. I can't even tell you the sleepless nights I had go saying, oh my God, what if this sucks? What <laughs> if this is terrible? What if this is horrible? And um, I'm now finally... Um, I don't know, it's like six months later, I, I hired an editor who's just started editing it. I'm seeing it, I'm like, oh my God, it looks, so far it looks okay. <laughs> so far it looks okay. But I can't say that I wasn't a nervous wreck not knowing if I even had a film. So how do you, you know, let me ask you this, what, let me ask you this, how do you give up control mm-hmm. of the edit? Because I always say the story is always told in the edit. I don't care if it's yeah, an audio you know, show. Yeah, yeah uh, the story is yeah. always told in the edit. How do you give up control of that? Well, you don't give up control. The thing is, what I like to see is, um, like, my husband's very good at, at um, um, oh, what is that, that thing where you stat Tetris. I'm not. So I have the vision, but I can't see all the little parts. I have to see it complete, and then I can pick it apart. Okay. So, so um, I don't want to sit there with the editor. I want him to give me his first pass. I'm going to look at it, and then I'm going to take it apart. Um, if you have a great editor, and right now I have a lot of great editors. Rob Riley is editing The Only Woman in the World. That's my feature. And, um, and he He'll send me something. What do you like? Do you like this? Do you like that? But otherwise, he's saying, okay, what worked with the sound? Maybe the sound wasn't good here. He's putting it together. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, okay. So, so he's, he's taking it at the helm. He's my post-production supervisor, but he's keeping me in the loop, and I'm telling him, yeah, you know what? We had something else I liked better, Let's, but I'm trusting his judgment because so far he's, like, mostly there. You yeah, know, he's yeah. a great editor. Uh, Mark Rio is doing a couple of guys, and same thing. He'll give me his cut. It's either perfect usually, or it's like, yeah, Mark, but do we have something to put here, or do we? So it's a collaboration, and because I'm I, the director and I'm the one who got the funding for it, I'm having final control. You know, but I work with people who I know know what they're doing. Um, I had um, I had hired 
for the waiting room. It was a 72-hour challenge, and um, I wrote it in like about two hours. I got great actors. Jennifer Giles is an Emmy Award-winning actress. Heather Britton O'Scanlan is just tremendous, and Kieran's in it, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. And um, we had 72 hours to do it, and, and I had somebody who'd been wanting to work with me, uh, wanting to compose it, and, um, and for free. And I went, okay. And um, when I saw the first pass of it, he wasn't getting at all what I wanted yeah. at all. I, I just wasn't, you know, and, and I called the, the DP, who was Mark, who was, shoot, was shooting that for me. I said, Mark, can you give him notes? Do we even have time? And Mark said, I, yeah, I'm not feeling this either. And, and it was so hard for me, but I had to call the composer and say, I really want to thank you for your time, but you're so far off from what I'm looking for that I don't, I don't have time, you know, to even give you a yeah, week right, here. I right, got to have like right. a score by tomorrow night. So, a, a composer that I had worked for, uh, who had worked for me before in Italy, um, it was the middle of the night, I think, because you don't sleep when you're doing a challenge, and you, you only have a certain amount of time, oh, yeah. and I sent him yeah. a message, and I, I don't know what the time frame is, but he's, he was either just getting up or just going to sleep. I said, Eros, I have this film, and all I have is X amount of money, and I need it done by tomorrow night. Can you do it? Anyway, or, or by tonight, because uh, it was the middle of the night for me, and he goes, sure, fine. And, and the next morning, I had the perfect score. Because he worked for me before he kind of knew my style, mm-hmm. and he knew what you know what I wanted. So y- you need somebody who understands, you know what 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 you're trying to go for. Um, and look, and sometimes it and just connects. Have- sometimes Debbie, it just connects and it just works. Look, the right. the, the head of um, mm-hmm. uh, the head of the film Ghostbusters, who was uh, who directed that Ghostbusters. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, what's his uh, name? I'm drawing totally a blank. Gonna... But anyway, they called the guy knew Ray Parker Jr. called up Ray and said, "Hey Ray, can you write me? You know, this I need a theme song, and it's got to have Ghostbusters in it. The, the, the mm-hmm. words Ghostbusters has to be in the song." And he literally wrote that overnight in a night. Gave him a rough of it the next day, and the guy loved it. And of course, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the most you know famous songs ever. Uh, so, you know, th- sometimes it just is luck, too. Sometimes you just connect. Oh, yeah. You know, for our audience, and again, I think that people listening to this show are going to be thinking about, you know, if I wanted to create a film with my husband or my wife or my partner or whomever, what would a budget look like for a short film? If somebody had a, let's say, you know, it, it would wind up having a total runtime of, what, 15 minutes, 20 minutes? Is that a good short film length? Ten is good. Ten, ten is, is good. better. You okay, can do so, fifteen. Ten so, is better. So for ten, so for ten is better. <laughs> Look, shorter is always better. What would a budget, a typical budget, and if there is such a thing, I don't know if there is such a thing, but what would a typical budget be for something like that? That is one of the hardest questions to answer because it could be anywhere from five hundred bucks if you know everybody and their friends and they're helping you out because you help them out. Yeah. Um, or it it could be five thousand. Um, because everybody's still pretty much working for nothing, and or I've done a film that length for thirty thousand, you know, because you got names, you know, I um, you got names in it, and uh, you're paying everybody, and it's got to go through payroll, and it's uh, if you have SAG actors, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so it could be anywhere, if you know, the ten thousand. I, I mean, I've done shorts for ten thousand. I've done for thirty thousand. I've done them for five thousand. So, it again, the, the the stars' names. It depends how many actors you have, how many locations you have. Are you going to get free locations? You know, or are you going to have to pay? You can pay five thousand for a location. I won't. Right. But I mean, if what you, short stands uh, out in your mind as being the most fun and the most rewarding? As that I've done, or yeah, that you've done. I love the waiting room. How waiting room. How much was did that cost? Amazing. Can you share that with us? Ah, uh, it cost. I think it was five thousand. Five thousand. Oh, in in and completely, it was a, a, a fifty. It was a seventy-two hour challenge. So all of the, well, I probably well, I'll say it anyway. But all the actors uh, worked for free, and and pretty much you know most of the crew. Uh, you know, post was money. I had to pay a composer and an editor, and mm-hmm. um, you know, color correction and food, and you know, I mean, there was so many things that that go into that. And then and film festivals was another whole thing. Was I what? Were you renting cameras? Um, no, because we had bought that camera because we were going to do something else. So we had the camera and we had all the equipment. So that was great. Um, I wouldn't recommend that unless you're going to be doing a lot of filming. But we've done a lot of films off that camera as it is. And we have For two the, now because... Me, exactly. For some of the gearheads that, that, that are uh, listening, mm-hmm. what, what kind of camera was it? Well, we shot, um, waiting room, I think we shot with the Ursa Mini uh, 4.6. Uh, 4. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, no, 4.2. 
But, um, yeah, so we're using that. I'm really happy with uh, the Black Magics. And then we just got uh, the Black Magic Pocket, which is a little better in low light and yeah, whatever. Yeah, I've heard um, great things about that camera. Yeah, so so if we wanted to have a two-camera shoot, we technically could, but then you need twice the crew, so that That's might right. not happen. Yeah, exactly. But um, because I'm so paranoid and because we do films for other people, I, I'm the kind of person I have to have a backup for everything. Got the vid, you have a shoot, and your camera doesn't work. You know, that, that's always a fear of mine because I'm just one of those paranoid people. So we have the other one, which is completely compatible. You know, so if, if something, God forbid, happens, we got the other camera. Yeah, like a, like a Navy so, SEAL. I'm always saying four is three, three is two, two is none. Yeah. No, or two is, two is one, but sometimes both could break. And, you know, then you, you've got a real problem. Yeah, if that's not going to happen. I, yeah. I, trust in, I trust that. I just, um, like I said, especially if we're working for somebody else and you have everybody there and, and um you know, it's the kind of thing when you're working on an independent film, if you go a day late, we're broke. Oh, yeah. There's no more money to finish this. That's right. So, so we can't go over. And luckily, we're almost always always within half an hour. Sometimes we're early and sometimes within a half an hour of what we thought. I don't think I've ever gone later than that, which is pretty amazing. But, um, you, you know, time is money. Had we gone an extra day on taxi drive, we wouldn't have the money for it. You know, had we gone an extra day on waiting room, we, we wouldn't have been able to finish. We had to actually two days to film it, but we couldn't. We couldn't do it in two days. We didn't have the money. So, um, yeah, it's... it's um, yeah, so so we bought um, all, also a lot of our uh, gaffer equipment, which my husband's now gotten a lot of work lighting other movies for other sure. people. He's getting a, a nice name for himself. So I assume um, he was in the business before you, you know, before do, he was doing this uh, before you guys got together, or no? Well, the funny thing is, he was. Um, he uh, we're only together about fourteen years, uh, but he started out uh, building sets for things like he did one of the sets for uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, and he built the original Nickelodeon sets, and he was one of the managers as Playwrights Horizons. So he was in the theater yeah. um, doing things off-Broadway, some on-Broadway work with Judy Tamar. He, uh, he graduated from the Yale School of Drama, so he had all this stuff coming right out, you know, that he was really good at. And then when he had his children, he wanted to be home. So he got out of the industry, and then he started teaching. Um, and he retired from LaGuardia Arts, which is, um, you know, the fame school, um, where you work for the brightest kids and the most talented kids, and that's when he started getting more into filmmaking. And the thing that's funny about that is when I met him, I had one rule, which is I never dated anyone in the industry. I wasn't going to go there. Yeah, right. So right. since I work so much, uh, there's too much to gain by having dated me between the film festival and between films and ca- people who want to be cast. And, you know, it's just, just stay out of that. And, yeah. and so when I met him, he was teaching. He wasn't in the industry. I dragged him back in. So, <laughs> um, and, and then now we make movies together all the time, you know, but... Um, yeah, so so we work together, which is great, and um, you know he's still teaching at City Tech College, uh, things for theater and and some basic filmmaking and whatnot. Um, so but, you're living you know, the dream. Look, you're living the dream. You're together. You're hanging out. You're working on creative projects together. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're taking that yep. time away and you're doing, you know, what you need to do as far as writing and creating on that end, he's doing his thing. He probably doesn't begrudge you for doing that. He understands it. You know, so that, no. that having that kind of connectivity is is an amazing thing. Look, the one thing that I will say, especially in the third quarter when you are doing something creative and you don't have the support of your spouse, nothing is more brutal. Forget about it. You can't, you know, it's almost impossible. I've seen people actually start to head toward divorce court because they just, you know, Mm -hmm. the thought of that person picking up a guitar and and literally playing in a wedding band, even though the finances were not an issue, just that they they would choose to live a different life. You know, a lot of times freaks the other partner out and the spouse out and they go, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this. And it's like, well, what did you sign up for? You know, mm-hmm. what, do you, yeah, exactly. what, do you, what do you think we should do? Should we just, you know, now we're in our 50s. Should we just start to wither away and just, you know, you know, head into the fall exactly. and the winter seasons of our lives and that's the end of it? I, I don't know. Debbie, look, you have done some amazing things. You've met a lot of people. What point right now are you at that you could use some help with something? Like, you know, is it is it investors? Is it funding for a new project? Is is there a dream, you know, script that you've got that you're you're waiting to get out in front of? Where are you at right now? 
Well, I mean, there's always a lot of things that I can use, but investors is a huge one. Yeah, um, always. Because I have the scripts, I'm 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 ready to go with them. I, I know the teams and the actors, and and so it's really the investors for the smaller projects and the bigger projects. And my series, couple of guys, I'm hoping to film the entire thing by myself and then try to sell it. And I think it will sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it would be nice if I had somebody there who's like, yeah, here's money for the whole thing, and let's get it out there. Well, look, um, even Edward, even Edward Norton in Motherless Brooklyn, you know, he actually had to go into a his own pocket and he had to be very creative mm-hmm. with funding on that yeah somebody did write exactly. checks but it wasn't easy to get that money so it was a difficult mm-hmm. that, there was a lot of roadblocks in him getting that money for that film you know so right. whether, oh, even, yeah. even with a name like his and even with the people he had around him you know alec baldwin's in that and there's a bunch of other people in that movie you know i i think it's going to do great and it's already doing great but you know that was you know people i don't think they very easily get into their checkbook and start writing checks especially for creative projects Mm-hmm. You know, they have yeah, to be you have really to get, You have to get lucky. Yeah. You know, and, and I have gotten lucky from time to time. Um, I need to get luckier. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? We all could use a little uh, more luck, know, no doubt. Yeah, for the bigger projects, you know, when I, I really, really want to do, um, I'd love if I could keep total control of uh, drivers when it's done, because it's just going to be a hoot, and I know who I want in it, and if, if somebody comes in and you sell it, then they, they're going to do whatever they want with it, which, you know what, if that's what the contract is, then that's what the contract is, um, but, you know, you, when you know the exact right cast, and you really can't wait to play with these people, you know, um, because it's it's exhausting and yeah. it's stressful and it's one of the most fun things in the world when you see there's nothing that makes me more high than writing a script and seeing <laughs> it happen right before your eyes exactly like yeah. you imagined it. Mm-hmm. It's it's I can't even explain that feeling. So you oh, know. no question about but, it. Yeah, um, that realization. So if you had one script, yeah. one project, one thing that had to be greenlit and and go, what would it be? Drivers. Um, I'm gonna. Say Say drivers because I've already greenlit. I've already greenlit a uh, uh, couple of guys, and we're doing it piece by piece as we can afford it, and picking up a few bucks here and a few. So we're doing it. So it, we, we greenlit it ready. Uh, and if it takes me two years, it's okay because it yeah. takes span over several years in, in the sure. script itself. So so we can do that. But drivers, and I haven't finished writing yet, but I already know pretty much what's going to happen. It's just a matter of sitting down with it. But yeah, I'd love drivers. I, I also wrote a, a Christmas movie called Porter's Way Christmas, which people are looking at. Um, one needs a budget, one needed something else, and now I'm just, you know, whoever comes with the most money first and, yeah, you know, whatever, right. then, then they get it. And I will be involved either way with, with you know, whichever company takes it. But um, So I kind of feel real confident about that. So I might say that, but I'm going to say drivers, because drivers is just going to be one hoot. All right, it's, so it's who's gonna the be ideal investor? That's going to be somebody who, who's basically hanging out and has got a ton of money and wants to do something fun. And they've never made a movie, and they, they're not going out to Hollywood because they're not industry money. But you know, right. maybe they're going to throw fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or even ten, you know, to get it started. But more is better, is you know. That, but is they that what we're looking part- at to get drivers done? Are we looking at fifty to a hundred thousand? Oh, we're looking at least hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah, I, so, I, I don't have the because I haven't finished writing it yet. But I, I'm going to say a hundred is is very concerned. It, that's not conservative. That's that's very low. Two fifty is more like it. Well, I was going to say, listen, uh, it always takes more time and costs more to get done. But initially, if you had a hundred thousand dollars, I could get it. Somebody gave me a hundred thousand. I'm doing drivers. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> I, listen, you know? I love the confidence. You know, I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, that's what we want to do here. We want to try to, you know, have somebody listening to this show. If there's somebody out there that's tired of you know, as I say, opening the envelopes that wants to get involved, be on set. Uh, is that something where they, uh, they're welcome on set? I would, I would imagine they, so. Yeah. That's why they know, would do it, it, I would think. Yeah, we've done that. Sometimes I've given somebody very small roles that, you know, if they can actually have some acting ability or, or they can be an extra if, if they don't really, but, you know, they get to hang out with um, the stars. And the whole thing is, can they behave on set? And, and I've never, I have not personally ever had a problem. I've always had people who are very respectful, mm-hmm. very thankful uh, people who started their own film careers after because they, they learned. I mean, they didn't learn enough to do it by themselves, but they learned enough to understand that, okay, if I ha- hire the right people, you know, and, and I've helped them, you know, with, with crew and casting and whatnot. Um, it, it, the thing that's most important to me is I really only 
want to work with nice people. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, I, I don't. Um, I'm. I'm going to be very honest uh, about, and upfront about everything, and I expect everybody I work with to be the same way. Yeah. You know, if you make a mistake, if it's a crew member, tell me. Let's fix it. Don't don't say, "Oh no, I didn't do it." When I just saw you do it, right, you know, exactly. don't 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 do that because then you won't ever work with me again. And this industry is so small that that you know if somebody's a problem. So you, people are going to know be about no, it because yeah, everybody be talks. Yeah, you know? so, but I've, I've had, um, I mean, one cool thing, though, is, is I've had people hire people who I didn't even know um, hire people from my movies, and, and uh, they said, you know, the, the, the person would say they said they knew you. I said, I don't know the person. And they went back and asked them. They said, well, you work for Debbie. you got to be good. And that meant so much to me, Absolutely. you know, because I do pride myself on working with really, really good people. So, um, and, and, again, the, the honesty, the integrity is tremendously important to me because you know what i can make you know 10 million maybe in five years if i'm really lucky or not and i either way i don't care that's right because i'm doing what i love you're doing what you love you it's know? the journey it's not the destination yeah. it's the journey that matters so let, right. let's bring the, let's bring this around you know and go full circle on this for somebody listening right now they're thinking about getting into this business or they're thinking about doing something creative that way what advice do you have for somebody in the third quarter that is on the sideline uh, they're not necessarily, uh, they don't have the wherewithal financially. They're lacking a bit of mm-hmm. confidence. What, what advice do you have for them to make that jump, to take that leap of faith? Okay. Well, what they can do, I mean, if they want to make a first mo- movie and they don't have a lot of money, make something really inexpensive, but don't expect to show it anywhere. Learn, try, try to learn, you know, exactly. And by what show it anywhere, top, you mean you know? any festivals, any expos, things like that. Yeah, if it's, it's really not, if, if it's not really good, know enough to ask the right people what they think of it, and, and that's kind of a very, you got to be careful with that, because yeah, your family will either tell you they love it, and they don't, and it's because they're proud of you, and it, it's terrible, or they can tell you it's terrible, and maybe it's not, but because they're jealous. Debbie, I've walked out really of the theater, careful. and I can't believe some of the films that I've seen over the past decade have been made, and, and I walk out scratching mm-hmm. my head saying, I, I just didn't get it. You know, not that yeah, it's right, yeah. wrong, or indifferent, I just didn't get it. Like, wh- where were they at with that? I mean, what? So, I mean, yeah. even, so, even some major, with a major star and a major big budget, uh, you mm-hmm. can walk out of there scratching your head saying somebody had to have been paying attention when this was being made and had to have known it was going to be pretty terrible. Yeah, but, you know, we all have different tastes. And then there's, oh, that's, gee, that's if right. you put a certain celebrity in there, people will see it anyway and not really care. So, um, you know. They'll be more forgiving so, for so, sure. Yeah. But you I know, look at Ben I've, Affleck. I've a lot, a lot, look, look at Ben Affleck and you look at his run. You know, a lot of times you, you walk out of the movie theater and I'm not taking a shot at Ben. I'm just saying that sometimes, you know, you look at the roles that he's been you know, choosing and you go, why did you choose that role? I mean, that, that could be a paycheck. You exa- know, sometimes absolutely. it's a role you want to do. Some, a lot of times, a lot of actors I see that do these horrendous movies and they'll say, my agent even told me not to. But, you know, it was a good paycheck. You know, so I've, I've seen, you know, <laughs> so people it always comes that down to, to the money. <laughs> See, that's why I've been so lucky, because I've never, I mean, and it could change, you know, but, but I've never had to do it just for a paycheck. Yeah. I've never had to take something I didn't want to do. I've never had to hire somebody I didn't want to hire. And um, I'm really thankful for that, because I'm lucky I'm in that position. I can do that. Maybe Absolutely. if I didn't have any other source of income, maybe I'd have to take the movie I wasn't really crazy about, you know? That's so right. I'm, you I'm know not. That, that, I think that cannibalizes success, you know, for better, for worse, you know, to be able to do exactly what you've always wanted to do and from a vocational standpoint and not have to sacrifice just for the money. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that's true success. I really do. I can't think of anything that is that defines success better than that. Not having to do it for the money. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, right. I, mean, I like that being the definition of true success. Yeah, I, like I do. That. I, I mean that because there's so many people. Again, when you when you look at the MIT uh, Age Lab study, money was really like last on the list, and mm-hmm. so all these people wanted so many more things. And when we're younger, that's all we're chasing is the dollar. You know, we, we're defining success. Yeah. And look, and it still happens worse you today. Survive. That's right. You got to survive. But <laughs> there's a difference between surviving and going on Instagram and seeing everybody with their vacations and and their new Lambos <laughs> and whatever they're doing and their exotic you know houses and watches and all of this stuff. And it's like, well. That's what a lot of people think is success. And, and again, for better or for worse, you know, Vince and I were talking about this last night. He's getting ready to shoot um, with Mickey Work today, Three Days Rising. I think it's called Three Days Rising. Oh, nice. Yeah, so he's shooting <clears> with <throat> Mickey Work today. And, you know, he was on 90210 for years way back then, and he's done, done some other parts since. He was on Jag and NCIS and all that. But, you know, to be able to do projects like this and to do what you love to do, you know, to, to mm-hmm. act and show up and to be on set today, uh, and, and look, Mickey Rourke's a pretty cool guy. I mean, I met him a few times in oh, Florida. Yeah. 
He seems like mm-hmm. a really cool guy. I don't know him personally, but you know, Vince is going to be hanging out with him for the week, and they're they're shooting. Uh, I think they're shooting on Long Island, uh, somewhere up there. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's to be able to do that is success. I don't care, you know, yeah. how big the car, or how small the car, or how big the house or small the house. That is success, really, when you think about it. And I think a lot of people our age have to start to look at that as a metric and, and a true north star for them rather than how much more money can I make? And I still look, I still see it all the time. People that are in their fifties and sixties that still are making the same mistakes and going after the same things that they went for in their, their twenties and thirties and even forties. And I say, is it still fun? Like, uh, like to chase the dollar, is that really still what the ultimate goal is? I mean, so I don't know. Do you think a lot of people don't have uh, a strong feeling creatively or entrepreneurially that they have to do that or they want to do that? Why do you think people do I that think, still at this age? I think that um, for some people, they may not. Have, I think everybody has a cre- creative edge in some way, mm-hmm. um, whether it's filmmaking, whether it's the healing arts, whether it ever, everybody has a different idea of what their creativity is. I think that some people only know how to judge themselves by what they make. Yeah. Um, or, or that's what they've been destined to to. They don't know what else to do. Or, or there's also a power thing. Um, and not to say that I don't know very nice rich people because I do. Right. But there's some people that's all it is is the money, and they don't care about people. You know, and and you kind of almost have no soul. You know, yeah. I don't oh, yeah. even know. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so not to say there's anything wrong with having money. You know, but then you have the people like J.K. Rowling who knocks herself off the billionaire list because she gave so much to charity. Yeah. Because she's mm-hmm. like, how much do I need, really? How much do I need, exactly. You know, how much does anybody need? Yeah, that's exactly you know? right. Look, I think we both know a lot of people that have a lot of money that are really unhappy. And, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it, they clearly, the money doesn't buy it. Now, listen, I think it's probably fun trying to chase, you know, the, the dream and, and trying to chase happiness mm-hmm. with a lot of money. Who knows? But, uh, you know, heck. So let's uh, talking about um, healing. Let's, let's talk about Reiki for a second. How did you get into that? That seems like a really strong departure from the creative world, although maybe it's not. Maybe it's very aligned and synonymous. Tell me a little bit about that. It is. It's actually very much in line. Um, I always kind of knew that... Um, I, I was raised Roman Catholic, even though my last name's Markowitz, but my because my father was Jewish, but I was raised Roman Catholic, and there were things that resonated with me and a lot of things that didn't resonate with me. And um, so I consider myself um, spiritual and not religious. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do believe in certain things that are bigger than us. And I do believe that we are all made out of religion, uh, all made out of vibrations, which is proven, it's scientifically proven that everything has a vibrational value. Yeah. I always studied spirituality from um, different aspects, reading different books and this and that, and um, I kind of knew in some crazy ways, you know, I, my, my husband hurt his leg once, and I kind of just went up to him, and I rubbed my hands, and I put my hands on his leg, and, and I didn't know what I was doing, and all of a sudden it's like, my leg feels better. And I don't know what I did, and, wow. and so I started talking to people, and they said, you actually kind of did Reiki, and it's a thing, and, and um, so I went and got trained, um, and um, it's some you know something that... I get healing also when I do it, um, and and by healing I don't mean there's a sickness necessarily that I'm yeah. fixing, but um, if you it it's it's um, very I cathartic. believe yeah I, I yeah I, I mean the, and I this probably isn't the right word to use but the pure you are and and I don't mean like you know being a virgin I mean like right, right. Um, <laughs> the the pure intention the pure intention that you are um, it, all the other stuff tends to fall away so yeah. if you heal somebody else that comes back to you you know and you actually heal yourself at the same time um, and and it's a little bit complicated because not everybody can be healed of everything because I believe we all have our journey and if your journey is to be here until this day until you accomplish that nobody in the world is going to make you stick around you know but you can make people um have peace or make people feel well or give people the courage to do what they need to do that's all kind of part of healing um but uh i'm just very very interested in that i think that we have an awakening going on right now um because while you see a lot of people doing really crazy things that you can't understand why they don't understand what they're doing is correct um there's also people who really are in it to make the world a better place and to try to help people and heal people and um 
And so I'm seeing so many more of those people. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all kind of have the same thing, and we'll do, like, drum circles together. And when you finish one of those, it's like you feel like you just your whole body is vibrating at a whole whole different level. And and maybe I go and write, and my writing is off the charts, you know, because um, I'm just that much more open. So um, Being a professional drummer, I, I can't believe I'm embarrassed to say I've never participated in a drum circle ever. Yeah, and not everybody does, and they're not all the same. Yeah. I mean, the one that I've, I've done a couple of them, and one I've done is so amazing. It's with a bunch of people that I'm very close with, and so it makes it all the more special because they're all light workers. Is there you mass know, amounts of cannabis Reiki? at those things? Because I think there, there would be. I'm sorry, is, is what? There, is there mass amounts of cannabis at those things? Well, we haven't. We haven't actually. Uh, we don't do that. The one I do it. Some no, people no, no, do, I, I guess. <laughs> some, uh, I, I, I've seen. Oh, some I don't of care them. personally. Oh, I you agree. Know, I but, agree. Uh, Look, I've seen some. Some of those, and they seem to be um, uh, rather enjoying themselves, which is great. You know, I think it's part of the experience as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not. In fact, that's funny because another drum circle I went to, he said, "You know, I know some people come here. Some guy came with a six pack of beer, and that's not what we do." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I agreed with him because in mine, it's it's really all about trying to to, to send that healing vibrations, and you you pick people that you dedicate it to, and and the universe itself, and whatnot. And because I know these people so well, and it's really almost like a family, um, it's very very powerful. And and the other time I did it was I, I really liked the guy who was leading it. I didn't know anybody else. It was still okay, but mm-hmm. it didn't have the same power as the other one. Yes, there's people who go there to party and have a good time. And you know what? Hey, if, if it makes you happy, why not? You Absolutely. know, but that's not really what I'm into. You know, what I'm doing, I feel is um, it just comes a lot more from the soul. It comes from um, appreciating and respecting the planet and, and, you know, what we've been given and, and not taking things for granted because, oh my God, look what we have. Yeah. You know, it's, unfortunately, it's, a lot of us are trying to ruin it for money, but, you know, if you look at, you know, a fall day, you know, or you go out in the spring, it, oh my God, it's a miracle all around us. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Just to stop and take a minute to just uh, appreciate what you yeah. have, and, you know, what your health and, and where you are right now. Debbie, last words from you. Uh, anything that you'd like to say to our listeners right now? Any words of advice, encouragement, wisdom? Yeah, just find out what you want to do and just do it. And you can be afraid, but yeah. do it anyway, you know, because you're going to be okay. <laughs> Straight, simple, and to the point. You're exactly right, Debbie. You are going to be okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it, folks. Episode three is in the bag. If Debbie's story resonated with you, head over to our Facebook page, ask her a question, leave a comment. Uh, We'll try to get her back to uh, answer some of those questions and, you know, stay engaged with the conversation with you guys. Listeners, if you know of anyone in their 40s, 50s, 60s, even 70s that you think could benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Until next time, I'm Doug Taylor. And remember, you are battle-tested and life-approved, and you certainly don't need anyone's permission to begin living the lives you were born to live. Take care. The Third Quarter Gut Check is sponsored by Trench University. Battle-tested, life-approved. To be a guest on the show, call 215-315-3148. That's 215-315-3148. Or send us an email to thirdquartergutcheck at gmail.com. That's 3RD Quarter Gut Check at gmail.com. The Third Quarter Gut Check is a modified media production.